way. <laughs> All right, yeah, we're we're live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You would. <laughs> that stuff is there. amazing. Like my eyes feel your fantastic. Eyes, oh, your eyes are itching. Try the it. allergies. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, what's it called? Radiator. <laughs> yeah. Might as like well that. be. Zadiator. Zadator. Yeah. Zadator. Mm. And they sell a generic. I don't like the generic as much as I like that. Okay. It's expensive, but it'll last you. Yeah. Because you only need one drop. All right. Like yeah, maybe those geese might chime in too. Let's hope not. <laughs> okay, well, it's pretty simple. Um, <clears throat> I'll just do the intro. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Voice of the Feral podcast. We got uh, Beth, Becca, Tyra, and Haley. And Haley and Richard. and Richard today. And I'm the host, Ben Hannon. Um, so thank you for joining in. Today we're going to be talking about soul departure. So we're going to start off with, <clears throat> we'll just go for origins. So where did you guys all start out here on planet Earth? Where did you come from? Like, What was the beginning for all of you? You can just... I was born on a Sunday evening. Born on a Sunday Okay. <laughs> Sunday evening. Day? No, it wasn't. I was born in Long Beach, California. Where were you born, Beth? <laughs> Uh, Milwaukee, Oregon. Milwaukee, Oregon. Okay. And you were born? Yakima, Washington. Yakima. That's right. You're Yakima. And you were in Longview. Longview, Washington. Where are you from, Richard? Vancouver Memorial Hospital. I was a preemie and my twin brother died at birth. Really? And I spent three months in an incubator because I was born at the six month weighing less than two pounds. No kidding. Yeah. Holy cow. So you're literally lucky to be alive. A rough start. Wow. Okay. All right. So from there, then like, what was, where did, where did things go from there for everybody? You get born, like everybody had white picket, <laughs> white picket fences. I had uh, a pretty good childhood. Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I had three siblings, lived in Yakima until I was about seven, moved to Michigan for a few months, moved back. Mm. Lived in Yakima for a couple more years, then I moved to Vancouver and have been out here since. Wow. And both parents? Mm -hmm. Still <clears throat> married. Still married. Wow. Awesome. Okay. They got engaged after a month of dating and then got married a couple months later. Really? That was okay. 33-ish years ago. don't remember the exact number, but... <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Like, it really is. It, it's not, it you don't see that. That's... No, you don't abnormal that's for sure <laughs> yeah good for them that's good though and you got <clears throat> two other sisters brothers? i have one brother and i'm sorry one sister and two brothers one sister and two brothers okay and you guys all get along mm -hmm. yeah my brother that's... was my first roommate oh he was okay <laughs> yeah that's cool what about you you've got both of your folks uh yeah technically i got i got three folks as my parents were separated and my dad remarried um, I'm not really in good contact with my bio mom though. Okay. Um, yeah. I went from Longview to Seattle, did college, and then back to Longview, now down to here, Vancouver. Wow. Okay. Okay. And then you. Me. <laughs> um, parents divorced when I was one. Wow. Uh, mom okay. remarried when I was three. I've got two brothers with my mom and my stepdad. And then my dad remarried for a little bit. 
and have a sister and uh, then he's now single <laughs> okay bounced around all over Oregon so Milwaukee Happy Valley Damascus Clackamas uh, sisters bend kind of he moved a lot and so did they and so grew up all over Oregon and then joined the army went off to uh, Missouri Texas you. and uh, and North Carolina and then came back here and moved up to Washington and been bouncing around between Vancouver and Battleground the last couple of years. Wow. Okay. Okay. Richard, what happened after the after your start for you? Uh, my parents divorced when I was very young. Actually, probably around ten. It was an ugly divorce. I don't remember much, but what I do remember, I don't care to remember. Um, they both remarried. My mother is still alive. My dad has passed. Okay. And what about you? My parents are were 25 years apart in age. I was a product of an affair. My dad married my mom. One month, I just found this out, one month to the day um, before I was born. Um, and my dad was an alcoholic had really he was born in 25 my dad died in 2010 um my mother lives in orange county she's deaf and um the most unmaternal person um and my dad i ended up moving up here in 2005 i brought my dad up here in 2007 and took care of him his last um, two years of life and a lot of people were kind of like how can you be taking care of your dad you know with all the abuse and what have you and you know I kind of learned through my own therapy that you know I as a child I didn't ask to be here I was here and I I believe I mean through my whole I mean I could go on my, my I got I could write a book on my life but there's a reason and purpose um, I attempted suicide at 12 um, met my husband whom I don't believe I was I mean I have two sons from my first husband um, we were together 14 years but I don't believe I was destined to meet Chris as much as I was destined to meet my mom June who has raised me, taught me everything that I need to know about being maternal. She's been, she's the reason I'm sober today. She is, she's given me that, she walked in one day and, are you pregnant? Yep, is it Gate or is it Chris's? That pissed me off, because then I felt like, oh well, you know. And I said, yeah, and she said, okay, Richard, my brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, um, We'll be here on Sunday and he's gonna move you pick me up to put me in an apartment in the middle of nowhere no car no phone I'll be here every week to take you grocery shopping and get clean and I got clean and I realized very quickly that I did not want to go back to where I came from and couldn't get away from my ex-husband didn't matter how um, after many hospital visits and having my face sewn back together and broken ribs and stuff um, I needed to get my kids out of Southern California. 
it just became um, so we moved up here we picked a state and it was either here or Mon Montana and this place seemed a little bit closer and it was the best choice that I made getting the kids out of there and moved up here and ended up meeting this guy and we became friends and it was you know Richard's my anybody who knows us know that we're like polar opposites of one another I think that we balance one another and um, we both have you know um, a past and I don't, going back to my dad taking care of him I got to know my dad and understand that it was losing my grandfather for him in 1936 to a heart attack in a Model A Ford on his way home during the Great Depression. They owned a grocery store and he was killed. And my grandmother remarried, my mama did. And um, it was just downhill for there for my dad. And so dealing with that, I, I it just immediately clicked that, you know what? That generation, even knowing my mom, they don't deal with issues. They're swept under the carpet. Nobody talks about anything that's ha that happened. So a lot of the things that I went through in my childhood, I could never, there was never a safe zone. I couldn't go tell my uncle, who was the, the head state patrolman in Running Springs, um, and soon judge that, you know, I had gone through some of the trauma that I had gone through. A lot of people thought it was my dad, and it wasn't all my dad. But I was able to forgive my dad. And even though I had forgiven my dad, I was able to do it in a whole. But I just understood that it wasn't me that he was angry at. He had a rough life. And understanding that gave me so much closure. And that's what made his death so brutal for me. And on the, on the 15th, um, the Friday before Father's Day, I lost my dad. Um, so June 15th is the day that I normally take to, I, a year after that, <clears throat> I was given Stella, my oldest granddaughter. And that's when I learned that with death there's life. And by then my kids are adults having kids. And um, I've told Richard, you know, who hasn't had kids of his own. I was like, listen, I got a dump truck of issues. I'm fucked up. And this is what it is. I couldn't chase him off and he was just, accepting and loving and he is him and Gage have hit it off and um, Gage is my youngest my oldest is um, you know he, he's it's just been a lot but that is just the icing on my cake so I've chose not to become a victim of circumstances but rather than a survivor and I can sit and dwell on it or I can I can forgive and deal with a lot of stuff that I thought I had dealt with and realize that I never actually dealt with the issue. I just forgave and thought that forgiving was the end and it's not, it's just the beginning. Hmm, okay. So, yeah, that's really good stuff. You had mentioned that you went into the military after your brother. You want to get into that? Really fast. Yeah. 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 My, um, so of my, of my three siblings, me and him were the, the closest. 
Um, he got sick um, at 11 years old uh, and we didn't know there's no no symptoms other than you know that croupy cough where they kind of sound like a seal and he was a little bit old for that but nothing no huge fever no nothing and um, just was taking care of him at home and on day three or four of him being sick he woke up in the morning and um, was just blue uh, wasn't he couldn't walk anymore he had to crawl out of his room um, that was back when we had that huge snowstorm and 2007 I wasn't living at home at the po at that point um, I had come over the day before and spent a bunch of time with him he had just gotten the Wii for Christmas uh, so we were um, I had finally had some a day off to spend with him so we and spent how was he? 11 um, so yeah January 17th um, I got up I went to work late because there was a bunch of snow on the ground and I couldn't get off of uh, Mount Scott and um a couple hours into my shift my grandpa shows up with my aunt and my uncle and they're like you need to go home I was like i just started working i'm not gonna go home i was late for my shift like i owe them the hours that i was scheduled and i'm gonna stay and they ended up tracking down my gm at the time and was like she needs to go home can't tell you why but if there's a family emergency you gotta tell her to go home so they did and then they wanted to drive me up to my parents place and I said no I'll drive myself because I still didn't know what was going on walked into my mom's house uh, had no idea and got told that he had passed uh, a couple hours ago the ambulance couldn't make it to him uh, in the snow so they ended up having to meet the ambulance um, halfway down Mount Scott uh, and he passed out and died going through the hospital doors. Um, super rare virus. Uh, only 12 people get it a year. Um, they have no idea how they got it. Another little girl that same year, about a month later, died from it. They tried everything to figure out if they had eaten the same, you know, food from lunch schools or anything like that. They never made a connection, never figured it out. Um, but yeah, my world got turned upside down. He was my the only sibling I got along with, the only one I had a real relationship with. And uh, I um, worked at Best Buy at the time. I um, loved the job and I used to pick up video games and take them over to um, just whenever I had an extra, you know, 50 bucks laying around. And I found myself on a regular basis buying him stuff, going up to the house and not having anyone to give it to. So I couldn't handle it anymore. And uh, uh, someone I went to high school with came, came back home uh, in late July of uh, 2008 and, or sorry, 2007, and was like, you should join the army. So I went down and asked him about a bunch of jobs and went, okay, put me in. Uh, went and tested and 13 months later shipped out and went to uh, <laughs> went to Fort Lost in the Woods in Missouri, Leonard Wood. And uh, yeah, from there took off and uh, didn't didn't deal with any of my my depression or anxiety or anything that went along with that. Um, made it to uh, Fort Bragg and ended up having major anxiety attacks. Uh, panic attacks, um, dealt with a lot of depression, and I had an amazing commander 
who after one of them told me you can either go and get treatment yourself or we can wait for it to happen again and then I'm going to force you to get treatment. And in the military, there has always been, they work on it, but there's always been a stigma if you seek out treatment, you're weak. And I had a real hard time with going and seeking help. Um, it took basically having, you know, the rest of my life threatened um, with not being able to own weapons and not being able to get certain jobs if it got commanded down that I would have to go. That would all go on to my permanent records. So went and spent four years going every Wednesday seeing a therapist and it took a long time to essentially forgive myself and understand that him passing wasn't my fault. Um, I was the only person in any type of medical field and so I had thought that I should have recognized the signs and had forced him to go in and get seen. Um, and I struggled with that. I still sometimes struggle with that. It's not something that um, I think I'll ever 100% be over with, but I now at least recognize that that's an illogical um, set of thought process. Um, there's no way I would have known. I wasn't even in the medical field at that time. So, yeah, that's what drove me to go. I was uh, kind of escaping in a way, escaping having to deal with it when I wasn't ready to, even though I needed to. They oh. called that, they call that the, the um, fight or flight response? Yep, and I flew. And it's, it's a part of, it's, <laughs> I flew it's a part across of your the country. cycle? Yep. And, um... And I didn't think I had anyone to talk to about it. My mom was struggling with, you know, her own depression. That was her baby, you know. Um, my dad, it wasn't his kid. He helped me as much as he could, but he doesn't, he didn't know how to help me through the loss or anything other than just be as supportive as he could. Um, and my stepdad and I don't have a relationship. Um, we tolerate each other, but that's about as far as that goes. And my other brother doesn't... Um, him and I don't speak, and we never had a relationship growing up. He tried to kill me when I was a kid a couple times, so Sounds I just like a nice guy. yeah, yeah, chased me around the house with a knife oh. several times, um, because he has anger issues and is probably undiagnosed bipolar. But um, yeah, so I just didn't have. I had a support system, but the support system I had didn't know how to help me. Do you think that just recently being, I don't know how many years or what have you, I'm going to say within the last maybe five, I'll stretch even 10 years, mental awareness has become recognized. I mean, I know that now they push for everything, but like really like people that have this anxiety and depression and um, and trauma. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I had trauma until you know I started dealing with my daughter who's seven, our daughter who's seven, um, who's actually my middle granddaughter that that I adopted. He's my he's my first son's second child, one night stand. Um, and when she, I started dealing with her trauma during a therapy session, he was said, well, tell me about the five-year-old Becky. 
and I was like, Pandora's box. And it just seems like recently there's been a lot more. I mean, I have a suicide awareness ring that I wear. Um, I think it's becoming more aware. Like my parents didn't believe in therapists. Yeah. My mom's had a ton of trauma that she's just pushed down and hasn't coped with. Yeah, we were just talking and about this. And now that we've, <laughs> we seek out our mental health now, I'm seeing it in my mom. Like mm -hmm. you need to I think there's a lot, it. yeah, a lot more awareness to it, but I think a lot of people still don't know how to deal with it or necessarily where to go to deal with their own stuff. Well, where to start. Um, where to, yeah, where to start, how to start. And then also there's yeah. still the stigma of if you go and seek this, you're weak, you're less than, <laughs> and that's not true at all. You're stronger for going and seeing, you know, seeking help when you need it. Um, that's something that, you know, again, the military has been hard going at that hard to try and, but you still see it. You've got all these macho men and women who just... They're supposed to be tough and supposed to be able to Especially deal with woman. everything. And, you know, there's still people that, oh, you're weak because you, you know, you, you can't handle your emotions like a soldier should be able to. And that's not true at all. And, um, you know, I, all those guys that I served with, I didn't tell any of them I was in therapy. We had it, we told everyone I had a medical appointment. Um, and that's where I was going. I was going to therapy for my knee problem. And that's the lie we told everybody because I didn't want to deal with the stigma, which is ridiculous. I should have shouted it from the rooftops that I was seeking help because I was being strong for myself. My, my brother was in the Air Force and he was a, um, not, he, he was um, a sergeant, master sergeant. No, not master sergeant. Anyways, um, but he he had a couple people kill himself, kill themselves. Oh, under yeah. Him. And he, Glenn would call me from England, and he was just like, I just found my freaking buddy hanging in the closet, and he would cry to me, and then he would say, I'm done, and he would move on, and I'm like, Glenn, your fucking shit is not okay. We came from this gnarly background, you know, where we had two parents that were completely unaffectionate to me and him. I have a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest of the two, Glenn being the baby. And uh, my sister who in everybody's eyes is the perfect little, and Glenn and I, I've always been the black sheep. Um, it was hard listening to his stories from the military. And he goes, you don't, you're, you're we're not fucking weak. No. And you Nobody don't show is. it. And so for him to break, I mean, for him to call me and be like, we've always been close. Um, of course, he's never been to Washington. But, um, you know, I have found that even dealing with some of my, you know, the therapy, because I see a psychiatrist and a therapist, my therapist every week. Um, and we're actually taking a parenting class through my therapist to learn how to play because... I never had a childhood. I was my mom's ears, mouth. You know, they didn't have all the stuff that they have now for deaf people. And then my dad, who's this ripping alcoholic, who's always gone, he was a train engineer. And um, you just, weaknesses, you know, I don't, I mean, being a soldier, I think it's a higher, you know, thing for weakness. But, you know, I think just in general, like you just, when you've gone through trauma, I don't think that, 
being it's easier to to put up that front of I'm fucking yeah I'm happy and smiles I'm, and or I'm, you'll I'm, never I'm know I'm fucking mean and I don't like you until I get to know you and that's just and now I've found that living out here that I feel safer out here I don't have a circle because yeah. I keep you know I, I just I can't get I can't be betrayed and um you know, I have my mom, and um, I have a have Donna, who is my ex sister in law, who's known me for thirty two years. So it's twelve, and blood isn't always family. No. And um, <coughs> you know, here we are. Back to the not knowing where to to start, so we just avoid it. That's what I did. I mean, my parents didn't believe in it. So after Dozer passed last December, my black lab, she can attest, she knew how much that dog meant to me. <laughs> I was in a very dark place and didn't know how to process it. And I remember one day on my way to work, I was at a light and my light turned green and I hesitated. I was in the turning lane and I hesitated for a second. And because I hesitated, the other, not because I hesitated, but I noticed that the other car coming did not stop, did not slow down, and went through a straight red light. And if I had gone, like I normally would have, and not hesitated, they would have slammed right into me. My first thought was I should have gone. And then it was at that moment when I got to work that I called my friend, whose mom is a psychiatrist. I'm like, I need a referral. <laughs> like, it scared the crap out of me. And so that was when I finally sought help. I go every other week now, and I'm not I'm not fixed, but <laughs> I've made steps. <laughs> I don't really know that fixed is like fixed is such a kind of like a. I think you learn coping skills. You get you get given tools to learn how to exactly. cope with things. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you ever. I mean, there's always there's always, and I have found there's so many things that trigger me, um, stupid stuff. And for me, because I went from being this uh, always working, independent, kind of head of the family, you know, taking care of my brother and sister and, you know, grandkids and kids and husband and to lose my independence and become disabled, you know, get married and, you know, marry my best friend and finally got a guy who loves me and my family. Get, you get given cancer twice and I'm riddled with all kinds of other, you know, diseases and I'm always in the hospital doing something to lose all that and to, I, I feel so, so that it seems like there's always something and it triggers and it, it dominoes all the way back to, tell me about that five-year-old Becky. Fucking why did you ask that? Because had he not opened that box, everything would have been great. Until it wouldn't have been, mm -hmm. because everyone's got a breaking point, and you don't know when that's going to happen. And getting treatment is the best thing anyone can do for themselves. Right. I mean, uh, and, not hide it, and not hide it, and don't know. allow. You know, your friends and family can mean the the best of you know intentions for you, but they'll they won't call your bullshit necessarily. Um, I had an NCO. Um, or I had my first sergeant rip me up and down sideways for being a crap soldier, which was the load, the biggest load of shit on the planet. 
it's all because I couldn't run very well. Um, but after that, I had a mental breakdown and ended up in my barracks room. I had just had eye surgery, so I had every pain medication you can think of sitting on my desk. And I poured every bottle out, sat and counted the pills over and over and over again, and kept saying, I can end all this. I don't have to feel any of this crap. And no one's going to miss me. I convinced myself that no one would give a shit and everyone would be better off without me. Because, you know, I was just a whole bunch of problems. And my NCO walked in, and rather than at that moment in time tell me I needed to go, he's like, I'll cover for you. You can have the day off. Yeah, that was, I needed the day off, but that didn't help me with my problem. And a couple weeks later, I had another mental break. And, you know, how many times do you cover for someone and try and, and gloss over things before it's too late? I mean, that wasn't the first time. It wasn't the last time that I debated on just, you know, the world would be better off without me. That isn't true. I know it's that. yourself truth. Yeah. But see, you recognizing yourself truth today, yeah. whether it was today or back then, is a big deal because that's, Huge that's deal. what I'm wanting as part of your pain cycle. Yeah. You know, you get those, those, those things, the triggers that bring things on that, yeah. you know, I'm not worthy, this, you know, therefore I react by doing this. But instead of reacting, I can choose to do this. I can, cho yeah, choose a different path. And, and it took a lot to get me to that point, but having someone try and, you know, it's, it's just a phase. You're okay. That wasn't good. That, that could have ended up being the end of my life. If, if another person hadn't recognized the trauma shortly thereafter that I was suffering from and forced my hand to go, if people had just kept on, I don't think I'd be here today. I think it would have taken another couple, two, three, and I would have figured out how to, how to end it. I hurt so bad, but, everything. But, so do you think that if you would have done that, you would have succeeded? Oh yeah, 100%. Because, because I, was, I was dead on arrival. I took 160 antidepressants. They told my mom if I survived, which I probably wouldn't, that they'd be, either be a vegetable or mentally retarded big running joke everybody's like so that's what's wrong with you um you know <laughs> just, just I'm, just, I'm just fucking that's retarded so I'm so retarded but you know I feel like Sorry. you know I I would have yeah I would have succeeded but, well yeah I but my my thing is is kind of okay because I was raised Southern Baptist um I mean religion's always been a big part of of of, of my upbringing but um for me to have woken up, like nothing ever happened, like where am I? Oh, you're going to four South? No, I'm not. I'm not going to an adolescent care unit, which is what they did back in the, the mid 80s. To You got a problem? Oh, you're going to a care unit, you'll get better. Put a Band-Aid on it and send her home. It was never really dealt, because I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh, you're yeah. how do you diagnose a 12 year old bipolar whose parents are fucked up and they have a fucked up upbringing and you know, for me to come back I'm kind of like that was nothing more than just you're not done so I don't know I kind of feel like people like oh it's a sin you know you can't do this you can't do that I feel like you know what if you're going to do it and you're not and you don't succeed you know are you forced back because it's, it's not your time I didn't get on no boat and go sailing down no nothing to see some light yeah I don't that's, what, that's kind of was like 
And after I found out the severity of it, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, next time I'm going to be a vegetable. Well, I won't be a vegetable. I just won't be able to talk or anything. I'll be stuck in a chair, in a wheelchair, you know, with some, you know, neurological not be able to talk or wipe my ass. And I'm kind of there already, but um, just like a little T-Rex, you know, <laughs> with my broken wrists and everything. Um, I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> it's hilarious. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to find some humor sometimes. It doesn't yeah. bother me. I mean, it's just... And so it's always interesting yeah. to talk with somebody who oh, has, wow. you know, experienced something like that. Is it, you know, what their aspect is, you know? Would, would you, if you didn't, I mean, if you would have done it, do you think that... If I would have done it just because I was in the military and I had, you know... Ample material. Ample material. Granted, yeah, the guns are all checked into, you know, the armory and stuff like that. But they get pulled out. There's things that could have... I could have pocketed it around. I could have put it in while cleaning and made it look like an accident. I also had all the medical stuff. You know, I was in a veterinary field. And I had access to scalpels and all this other stuff. And so we were... Um, the, the mental break that I had, um, you know, kind of a series of them, kind of, I mean, really, but we had euthanized the wrong, wrong oh, dog, um, and anyone who knows me, animals are just, I'll do anything for an animal over people nine times out of ten, like, they're just, we can, you know, but... <laughs> euthanized the wrong dog because a, a chart was mislabeled um and you know not not 100 percent legible and i did my best to verify that it was the right dog before we did it and then of course someone walks in as i'm listening to the heartbeat stop um hey that's the wrong dog it's got an owner and it's actually part of an animal abuse ring there's a court case okay well i'm thinking my career's over um this is you know three-star generals involved with this and a captain's the one that's adopted this dog and i've just i've just tanked my career so i went out and into the parking lot and chain smoked for 30 minutes just had an absolute huge massive anxiety and panic attack thinking my my whole goal for my life is is just been flushed down the toilet over this and then we go to a, a seminar, whole unit goes, for euthanasia exhaustion in the vet field, which the veterinary field and the military field um, have the highest suicide rates of any job out there, aside from regular doctors and nurses. And they're listing off all of these, oh, if you experience this, you've got euthanasia exhaustion. And I'm ticking it all off in my head going, I've got that, and I've got that. I've had that for, you know, months. Um, And then I started having flashbacks of losing my brother. And someone in the back, I apparently was just turning white as a ghost and then would get beat red and white again. Someone thought I was sleeping. So one of the sergeants pulled me up and they're like, you need to stand, you can't sleep during this class. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to sleep, I'm listening, like, and they're like, nope, you gotta stand, and then I just felt like all eyes were on me, and I busted out of that classroom, couldn't breathe, just bawling, and then, um, booked it, booked it outside, they went and grabbed my commander, and he sat down with me for two and a half hours in the wet grass, as I just sat there, 
not saying anything, just sobbing and rocking back and forth, shaking. And when I finally kind of came back to, I always carried knives on me. And I took both of them out of my pocket and handed them to him. And he asked me, are you planning on hurting yourself? And I said, no, but I don't want the temptation. Um, he goes, okay. Mind you, missed lunch, everything like that. So he's like, you're going to get in my truck and I'm going to go put some food into you. And he's like, I'm not hungry. He's like, I don't care. You're going to sit down and you're going to drink a Mountain Dew and you're going to have a Snickers bar and you're not going to say no. Okay. So we went and did that. He followed me back to um, the barracks and he had another person in the unit, the only person in the unit at that time that I actually trusted and had a little bit of a relationship with. Uh, and he's like, you're not to lock your door. They're going to come and check on you. You can go to their room whenever you need to. You don't have to knock. You don't have to like, this is your rules until you are able to get in and see somebody until you know and if you don't and this happens again i'm taking you myself and that was it was intense wow. but yeah so what did you end up doing then after that to better yourself because you obviously got through it i did i um went to army medical and went and saw a psychiatrist and a psychologist they put me on prozac at first and that didn't do anything um and then they put me on trazodone because um, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't getting more than an hour of sleep every couple of days. Um, and then I called uh, a phone number. I don't even remember what it was, but basically they offered 12 free sessions of mental health um, care through a civilian. I could go anywhere. I didn't have to be on base. I didn't have to be in uniform. I didn't have to have eyes on me, maybe bump into someone who I knew. So that was great. Um, I cannot remember her name for the life of me but her she you went over to her house you sat on her couch and she you just talk and so the first time me being the stubborn asshole that I am got into her house and sat down on the couch folded my arms and was like you're gonna have to pry this out of me I'm not talking <laughs> to you you crazy wackadoo um and so the first couple of sessions we just talked about general life stuff not even anything anything deep and one day I I don't even know what I said I mentioned something about um you know yeah I'm just kind of fucked up in the head she's like okay we're gonna dive into this now you gotta tell the story so um told her about my brother passing told her about how I almost committed suicide that night I ended up on the side of a cliff um with the truck poised to go over and I put it, I was putting it in neutral and I was like, I can make it look like an accident. I can make it look like I fell asleep. No one will ever know. I won't hurt my family anymore. I'll just, I don't, I don't need to feel this. And as I put it into neutral of all people to call me was my dad, um, who I have an insanely close relationship with. And I, I don't remember driving there and I don't remember driving home, but he called and I answered. And the next thing I knew I was at my apartment walking back in to my house. Um, that that's, is, that is why I'm here today. That's, that's, that's what I, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's like there's, there's, Oh yeah. Whether you believe or you don't, you have a higher power, whatever it is that there's, I don't believe that there's, that you, 
I mean, you meet anybody in life is a coincidence. No. The fact that, you know, you and I kind of talk just, you know, and then, um, then Tyra, you know. Um, then I give you a horse and now you can't get rid of me. You know what? <laughs> Fucking damn you. <laughs> and I'm calling her. I'm like, what's going on with this? And what's this that? But, you know, it's a little ironic as I'm sitting here and I'm, and I'm listening to, and I want to ask you your story, but and how you ended up in this, but how ironic that we should all have this trauma and be so entwined in animals. That They're give healing. Us, that give us that comfort. Oh, absolutely. A when horse, I, I mean, horses in particular are just... But when just... I first met him, I was like, what do we want to do when you retire? This was before I went downhill, and we were like, we're gonna do animal rescue. We didn't realize it would even be geese and a horse. And children, but it's straight humans. And I'm gonna tell you, like, Tyra, straight up, you know, like when she first walked over here with the first casserole dish when I was sick, I just thought that is so kind. And so my my therapist, what yeah, starts our therapy sessions. Like, what are celebrations? It's like Tyra, you know, the girl who's moving in to help out. Brought me over. I mean, she's cooked and done more for me than, you know, with the exception of my husband who breaks his back for me, um, literally, and his hip and his feet to provide. I mean, I, I, something that, you know, I don't, without sounding corny and cheesy, I mean, it's like you don't understand how much that meant to me to have somebody take the time to care because. Not my own family doesn't anymore. fucking come up here, except for my mom. Yeah. Barbara Not comes up here. Care anymore. How did you guys meet initially? <laughs> <laughs> All my fault. I, I brought like everybody to the table. I lived there like a year and a half. <laughs> but not ever talked. Okay. We all she, went to get she, she, she worked at UPS preloading. He works at UPS. Right. And I seen her at the barn, and Richard one day says to me, because um, my, my son is... is um, going to be 27 in August um, has not dated since him and the mother of his daughter who was seven. Peyton seven um, once or twice in the last five years that's it uh, you no know, I mean he just doesn't I mean he doesn't date I, I call it a hit it and quit it kind of thing um, which is the ease until I met my husband was how I protected myself but he's that's like, common you, too yeah. he said, I, I he said have, did you that. Seen, have you Very seen that, that, that she, and I go kind of cute, huh? He goes, well, maybe you're engaged. Gage doesn't need to date. And then I said, I met her. I go, so have you introduced them? Like, are they talking? <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I, Gage doesn't like to have his mom meddle. Like, me, my, me and my oldest, we can get emo all day long about stuff. Gage is very, he, he likes his relationships private. He doesn't like to talk about anything personal unless it's like, mom, I'm feeling a little what's going on here and I'm like okay dude, you gotta go down you gotta get some breathable underwear get some powder you blah 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 but you know other than that it's like you know he doesn't open up to me so but I have watched him do things because I believe both my boys watching their dad beat on me um, have their own trauma and I think with Gage it's, he's, shut, he's shut off and he won't deal with things um, and so the easiest way to not deal with things is have people in his life too. So he throws himself into projects. Um, Distracts himself. 
It's a when great his, defense mechanism. You can't get hurt if when you don't his, let when anybody in. Was, but, when, but when his dad was alive and living here, his dad passed here, um, it's going to be two years in August. Mm-hmm. My son had never gotten close to anybody except for his dad. And um, I, in the driveway one day, he was like, well, I'm not going to get close to you. I was like, I got you, dude. And we just became close. And losing him and watching my son cry, it was like, it was a big deal to have that connection, that loss. And so to have, and then him and Richard just kind of, you know, they don't always agree because they're both, no, it's this way, no, it's that way. But to have that connection of them being able to do things and for my husband to open up his land and be like, you know, fucking yeah, bring a horse that shits all over the place. And he shipped <laughs> down my driveway. And, you know, and Tyra, bring it over, we'll do it. And, and, and do, I mean, it's just like, everybody's so methodically placed at that one specific pivotal point in life and it's just you know she's done more for me than i had his baby mama move in and she was supposed to take care of me when i was diagnosed with i had um lymphoma and and um when was i diagnosed october and um she was oh i'll move in and take care of you i go dude i can't do shit until you run it by gauge because i can't just respect and i learned that respect from for me my upbringing is it's different because it's it's not really respect um that particular thing is a respect thing but nevertheless she was like oh yeah he said it was cool and, and the next thing i know gage is like what the fuck is she doing here like she's got her own mom and i'm like she said it's okay you said it was okay he goes no by then all of her stuff's here and then Finally, I was in the hospital, and he's taking care of the set that we call them the littles because they're both seven. Taking care of all of this and stuff, and she's nowhere to be found. And I was like, I text her from the hospital. I go, I go, you gotta go. And then just ironically, Katie fell the same week, <laughs> and I was like, well, you need a room. And then she found out that, I mean, she was blessed with, you can have the trailer and the carport. And Richard's like, well, let's bring it over. I was like, and then Beth, she just, it's weird because London. I am weird. No, London, <laughs> London never connects. She has a hard nope. time connecting, connected with Beth. And Pretty much for, instantly. For me, for me, I can go, well, if London is okay with it, I can be okay with it because I'm now trying to do a do-over with not only myself raising her and sheltering her, but a do-over from the mistakes that I made as a parent. I was pregnant at 16, you know? And by the time I realized what being a parent was about, I was 37, my kids were grown. And then I have grandkids. And then you're like, and then they're all girls after raising two boys and you're like, Oh shit. Oh, and they're starting their periods at nine now. Fucking great. We're going to bypass that real quick. Nobody's having hormones in this house. Um, So it's just, it's been blessed. Beth has been a blessing. I mean, she's, I, people think it's stupid. You know, I, I love my geese. Um, I can't get rid of these ones because they're Maleficent's, but one of them had Bumblefoot. We're struggling financially and her and Tyra came over one day and, you know, opened her up. And then finally it was just kind of like, not many people do that. That's, let's say, I mean, she had her 
cap on backwards and shoes. <laughs> I gave we had aprons and goose spray all over my face. That it was, was it was it was fun. It was not fun. No, it was not. But when she said, Becca, you know, I'm hitting bone, I go, stop. And Richard still I mean this guy's like we have rescued so many animals together and all a lot of seniors, ones that were going to pounds, blind ones, um, ones that eat you, my little Cujo Shelby. Um, and it's just like I can't, I cannot, we, we couldn't just get rid of them. So we work with them and they're well, healing. They are. People don't realize how much but that's they can heal. And they bring people together. Yeah. Yes. What do you guys, what's your take on how does sexual abuse play into all of this? Oh, shit. <laughs> Define like, the question. You, yeah. Yeah, well, you um, you don't need to get into any anything that you don't want to, but, like, what do you think that it does to people? Because it happens it all the, on the, the time. Yeah, it it, it all on the, the time. It they Definitely. have 500,000 kids being trafficked all over this country <laughs> oh, right yeah. now. And that's kind of where I'm like, people need to wake up, and that needs to be, there needs to be an end to that. Yeah. You know, we have been doing this since Rome. It goes so and much it under goes the radar. And on and on and on and on and on and on. It's insane. Yeah. And no one it's... says anything about it. They won't even talk about it. No. We if have... you try to have a conversation with them, they won't even go there. But it's because happening it's, all it's over the place. It doesn't happen. It's easier to brush shit under the rug and not deal with it. Yeah. <clears throat> my take on sexual abuse, I can I can tell you, I was I've been raped twice. I lost my virginity to rape, um, and I was molested by my dad's roommate when my parents divorced. Um, London, um, we believe had some type of sexual abuse. Um, because the minute that she tried to kill my cat, I was like, that shit ain't right. And we know exactly what that means. And um, we're going to therapy. We put her in play therapy right away, psychiatrist, pediatrician. And um, I think a lot of it has to play, but she, if you can catch them, the children, early enough. But Richard, like, he is so incredibly modest and very, um, he's never left battleground. So, like, this and giving children that safe boundaries and structure, like, I don't know that I'll ever be able to let her go to somebody else's house and crash. I just can't. She'll just borrow death. She'll, well, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, she'll borrow dad's, you know. Dad will be over there with his shotgun or his, his nine or something, but... Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like you can. Con you can always protect. You can't. So what do you no. do? You teach them the, the the stranger danger thing and what's right and what's wrong. And I've had this conversation with the boys when they were little. Listen, nobody else gives you a bath but but me and you know nobody sees your privates but your doctor. With me being there, boy boys get right down to getting strip searched at Evergreen High. I was like, yeah, not unless I'm there. Not gonna happen. No, but it's... I think that um, I can tell you, I've always felt like I can take a beating over verbal abuse because it's easier to your wounds heal but the mental scarring that it leaves you yeah. it took me a long time to realize that it's not my fault I had that wine cooler 
that one Bartles and James that knocked me out. And I had no one to go to and tell because you couldn't, I couldn't tell my dad because it would have been my fault. Couldn't tell my uncle because, you know, he would have gone after and then my dad would have found it just would have been a shit show so you just you don't deal with it and your mom was deaf correct but she you gotta understand she was never maternal so what i thought my anger was towards my dad for the abuse i'm like where the fuck was she at because i'll be damned if anybody steps in and, and beats on my kid right where were you so you know i have a hard time struggling with and my my mom used to tell me becky not everybody is maternal not everybody has that is kids, very true. and I said to my my said to my therapist, "How can a mother? Because two out of the three of my baby mamas, well, actually three of them, two of which are just completely not in the picture. Um, Stella and um, obviously London is adopted. Um, how do you just walk away? I loved. I mean, I guess I'm the only one here who's had kids, but." You know, how do you, that, that maternal, that loving, that holding that baby, that bonding, that whole thing. I did it with my niece. I did it with my boys. I've done it with my grandchildren. That instant protection mode, as I've gotten older, I've been able to identify. And you can kind of see in my, I'm pretty spot on with people and go, mm, gut instinct. Yeah, no, not good. I can relate to that, except being on the other side. Of, really? Yeah. How not so? having not me being a mom personally but having my mom not want anything to do with me okay, yeah. okay. I, they, she wanted everything to do with my brothers mm -hmm. but i was i was the worst child she would always tell my dad so huh. i was shipped away always and then then when i dated when i met chris in this charter this guy's like oh i love you i'm gonna marry you and like the first person that comes along that shows you that love and affection who ends up being you know, this narcissist abusing, you know, um, and you definitely didn't want to be a statistic because it was during that, that, that teen era when everybody had babies. That was your ticket to get away from the home. It was. Mm -hmm. And you probably felt like that was normal if you were raised with it, correct? Subconsciously. Oh, the beatings? Yeah, Absolutely. subconsciously. I took beatings from my brother, my sister, and Barbara. Okay. And, you know, it took Richard a while for me. He's like, dude, it's not right that you call her, you address her by her first name. And I'm just kind of like, you know, she's, mom to me is that person I can call. I called my mom and told her I had cancer again. And I got sorry to hear that. I would have been on a fucking plane. Going to be by your side. And it was my mom that came up here. I think, I think for your mom, she has the inability to be maternal for whatever reason. It's not that she doesn't want to be, it's that she, for whatever reason, is inept. And well, that could be the way she was raised. Well, it could be. But look at, I think okay, it goes, but from, look at, goes look from generation to generation. But look yeah, at Dorothy, look at Dorothy, look at Dorothy and, and, and Richard and their kids. So you'll be, you'll be the generation that breaks that. Yeah, well, trauma, trying. trauma can breed more trauma, but it takes someone to recognize that that's not okay and to break out of it well, in situations Stella, like that. I mean, she's, I mean, we come from the generation of abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and we have the desire to protect our children from what we were exposed to. Yeah. And so we're going to be the generation that breaks that. That's why I believe that. 100%. And yeah. I'm just going to say this guy has never had any children of his own and loves my sons. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And my granddaughters. Yeah. And 
all of my, you know, the Gephardt, my ex-in-laws, I never referred to them as my in-laws. And, you know, my brother and sister, um, as if they were his own. And, you know, after losing his dad, he's got his mom in South Carolina, but I mean, there was a big to do with that and that can be a, a different day but um yeah, you be. both are like that though you both are i mean you've extended your family or made me personally feel like i'm part of your family from the get-go right you i mean it's not it's and you two but, probably feel the same way yeah right it's all become you know yeah. we've created a uh, our own family like you said earlier blood doesn't necessarily no dictate family it's it's who you bring into the fold and who you can rely on and trust and do it with barriers i could not get rid of him like i was like i I I tried i was so i would because i didn't want to go into another relationship with okay i've got kids i'm not going to tell them that fucking i got all these baby mamas and they're all once 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 on heroin until I met her, I didn't know what the term baby mama meant. <laughs> it's, it's true. And, and it's like, we, we you know, I, I, I can tell you well, that. It sours um, me, that term, actually. It sours me. Really? It's a whole, well, it's a whole generation of kids that refuse to get married. Um, I have a water. Anyone else? I didn't know. I kept oh, saying okay. girlfriend. She goes, no, baby mama. I said, ex-wife? No, baby mama. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is a baby mama? <laughs> and now I know. It's kids It's kids that get together. They got the fucking no, part down, but nothing else. It's right. no relationships nothing else. anymore. It's situationships. And guess what? We, we end up raising their kids. Right. But, Which is exactly what you're doing, correct? But, it's well, exactly yeah. kind of. I mean, what I did this year, last year, in the, in the, to the previous year is um, Stella, my oldest granddaughter's mother, is a heroin addict. And I I have never, ever dealt with, I mean, I'm a, I, 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 was, I did math. Yeah. Um, started out, I was a single mom. Yeah. Going to school, went back to school a month after my son was born. Went on to college. I was working. I needed a bump during the day. Yeah. Bump turned into freaking this, that, and I, next thing I know, I'm sitting in college with my law professor because I was going to be a police officer with an eight ball in my pocket, and I'm blowing glass pipes. I've got massive blood, you know, bloody nose, and I dropped out because yep. I was paranoid, and that's you know, and then I just became a full blown freaking stay at home. But I, but June, knowing this, my mom. Always came down every Friday and she picked Andrew up and brought him back to Sunday night. And that was my time to sleep because I didn't. And it was her that I think she knew but didn't want to say anything until I got pregnant with Gage. And then she was like, you're pregnant. So yeah, she's like, you're going to get clean. And that pissed me off because I knew I had to get clean. And had it not been for her, I, I don't know that I wouldn't have. So dealing with Bailey, walking out on Stella... For me, I stepped in as the surrogate because Andrew has Andrew has since remarried his current wife, Andy, who has been all selling those. She jumped back in and tried to go to court, and um, I fucked up the paperwork. And the um, commissioner said, "You come back into work with this type of paperwork. I'm gonna not only hold you in contempt. I'm gonna slap you with a five thousand dollar bond or retain a lawyer." Um, and I, I went and I, I hired an attorney 
I dropped five grand to retain it for him. And I said, you're not, and for me, it was just like, I had to protect Stella. And um, for whatever reason, this commissioner just wanted to show adequate cost. External what? Internal. Internal. Yeah. So welcome back to the Voice of the Feral podcast. We got the crew here. We are live on location in beautiful Battleground, Washington. And Chili is hunting rabbits. So we need to make sure that doesn't go anywhere. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Internal locus of control. This is what we're going to talk about. A locus of control is what an individual believes causes his or her experiences and the factors to which that person attributes their successes or failures. Uh, it was first defined in 1966. Uh, locus of control as a person's perception of his or her control over events and outcomes in their environment. If a person has an internal locus of control, that person attributes success to his or her own efforts and abilities. A person with an external <clears throat> locus of control alternatively attributes his or her success to fate or other factors outside of his or her control. So based on what we we're just talking about, I would like to know what you guys think about that, external or internal, and then where are you at on that with yourselves? It's a tough question because there's a lot to that. I think it's both, honestly. I okay. think I, I can think, yeah. agree with you. Some yeah. days it's... But, but, like, but then I have that thing that I've been saying, saying to, to the two of you guys that, like, I don't believe anything in life is a coincidence. I think that everything right down to me having to wait 40-something years to meet Richard... I had to go through X, Y, and Z to get there, to, to learn a lot of different things. I call it God's plan myself. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I mean, so then the internal and the external would be both for me because yeah. um, God's plan, I don't believe in predest pre predestination or whatever, you know, God has his plan, but we have a free will. So. Exactly. Yeah, we can we can choose our path, but you know, then there's also God's plan, and He's there to influence us. But we can make and up our own minds. Nudge you in one direction or another uh -huh. if if you're deviating <clears throat> too far from it. But we still we still choose. Yeah. Hey, I grew up in a family that did not believe in free will; that everything is preordained, the good and the bad. I. And, oh, sorry. Oh, you go ahead. Uh, the. I didn't grow up in religion, but the church that I had joined at the time did not believe in free will. So, yeah, that's where we're at. What did, did the Adventists believe in free will? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, well, Most yeah, do. and uh, the Evangelicals, <clears throat> they're, they're more uh, more against the, the predestination, if you will, or the not having the free will. They believe that... Uh, there's God's plan, but God has given you free will, and, and you can be saved, but you can and and be saved by grace, but you can fall from grace and, and or backslide, and and uh, you can be saved, but be like my aunt and uncle believe, you can be backslidden and and, and still going the other direction, if you will. Huh. 
And your church <clears throat> does not believe in free will. I am no longer with that church. But oh, yes, but the one they, that you they joined. They did not believe in free will. What did they think? Um, they thought if you sinned and you were not, like after you ba- were baptized, then you're going straight to hell. There's no if. Just one months. time. Yep. Like one. That's, one screw up, it's over. It was very as a child because wow. I joined it at like eleven ish. It was very traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what was the message then? Like um, just don't do anything. Yes. Ever. And then your loved ones that have done that, they're gonna go to hell, and you you can't save them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That would be terrifying yeah. as a child, just like. Huh, my brother just lied about stealing a cookie That's, out yeah. of the cookie jar. He's going to hell. Yes, and then them encouraging you, telling them that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's pretty bad. But, but the, if, if what... that's the case, then, okay, you did it once. Like, once to stop you, you're already doomed. Yeah. Well, then you, then you have what's called age of accountability where, you know, obviously a child who doesn't understand is before what they call age of accountability. If they don't understand, hey... Then, then they wouldn't be held accountable. But you get to a certain age where... It's a squirrel. And a bird and a rabbit. You get to a certain age where you learn God's teachings and you've been made aware, then then, then you've crossed the, the, the threshold of age of accountability where you know you've been made aware and then if you still continue to sin, then then you can be held accountable in God's eyes. Interesting. The way I understand it. Yeah. I went to his, we, we started out at, his, at no, oh, at I, going uh, to, yeah. yeah, and the very beginning, they blew into this, a horn of some kind, I don't and know. I was like, I looked at Richard, and I was like, what the fuck, I, yeah, I felt I like it was at some cult shit, I was like, well, okay, explain <laughs> this to me, what happened, in the beginning, like, to, to, to like, I don't know, it was almost like, a call to, on the congregation, almost like a dinner bill, but it was a horn, and okay. You just stand up there with this, like it looked like a fucking horn to an animal, and they would blow into it. And it was, it was just one of those feelings. Like you can walk into a church, and I've walked into many, and I felt this is cool. I could, you know, I could be here. And you walked into that church, and it was just kind of like I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And I finally, like, I didn't know. I just told Rick, I go, I, I can't. The biggest, the biggest. The biggest point when I felt uncomfortable in that church, and forgive me for bringing it up, was when you start when the guy started talking about sex, and he was going on with a sermon and whatnot. But then, then he sidestepped, and all of a sudden, then, then he was, and since when is sex a right? And when do you, uh, you know? And he started just like almost like a lecturing, like you know, it's not a right, and and. Uh, Boy, that really rubbed was, me wrong. It, I was and like, he's, he's preaching to all these people that are like seventy and eighty years old, and then you got me and Beck, and I'm like, all right, well, I can see who he's pointing to. But we were and, married. Well, yeah, but I just, I just felt like we were being lectured, and I'm like, who the fuck are you to tell me? And why would you bring this up in church in front of these people and these little kids who have no business hearing about this kind of shit? <clears throat> and was, we hadn't been back since. <laughs> I went to a private school from kindergarten through my freshman year and then I went to a regular you know high school after that and they used to preach you know don't do this don't do this don't do this all the time and what do you think everyone did every high schooler 
in that went and did all the things that they just because they, they just harp on it over mm -hmm. and over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I, that I felt like I felt like Beck and I were being singled out because you know uh, all these eighty year olds probably ain't getting busy no more. <laughs> and you know what? Mm. And I always dress. I always dress. You know, and 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 a, and a dress with it. You know, I, I do try to cover up my tattoo. I try to you know because it was an older church. I tried to be respectful. I got a question for you. Why do you try and cover up your tattoos? When? When you go to church. Well, I don't anymore. Like when well, I was But when to you church. did? Um, because it, I know that his aunt and uncle were, really, were they're very modest and very religious. And I, I tried to be respectful because I, I didn't have that rapport with them. And they're because and he doesn't stone. have any family here. Well, at the time he only had a stepmom and my dad. His dad, which they didn't. They I mean, didn't go to church. Yeah, dad, yeah. Well, I think some of the nicest people I know have tattoos and aren't religious. But, but and some of the worst this, people I know at are this day and age, everybody does. Richard and I True. talked about doing, you know, um, you know, which is how you're not supposed to, but like. If I ever did any at all, it'd be just her, like her signature on the bottom of my wrist. Um. Yeah, it wouldn't be right there. Like well, I asked because there is a passage about, you know, you're supposed to keep your body a temple and there's all that stuff. And people read into that a lot. But um, my mom was a Mormon for a minute. And, you know, where you didn't, you kept your, your body's a sacred temple. You wear these undergarments. You don't do this. You don't do that. And it wasn't until she had a missionary over once for dinner and they told me that... I would not sit in the same afterlife world with my son. At that very minute, I lost my shit. I go, you got to be kidding me. And I mean, I started just like, I go, that's fucking bullshit. You're trying to tell me that in the afterlife, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be with my child. No. They're the law for their beliefs. So, <laughs> and, they, and then they were talking all these different, I, and I was just like, no. So every time they came over, it's like, I was. I wasn't a very nice person at that. I mean, I, I, I did, <laughs> I did Sorry, a little things. bit of a, little bit of a tangent there. Um, but yeah, it was, no, I don't, yeah. and I, I'm going to tell you, I don't like during my wedding, if you knew my mother's side of the family, way different than me, all very uppity. Nobody's got tattoos. Um, they're all, I mean, both my uncles, West Point grads, and just. Prim and proper and full of money. And then there's me. But, you know, it was like, I didn't know that I was going to get married, or I wouldn't have gone and done this whole piece. But then again, I thought, you know, this is my day, and I'm going to have wear something that's not going to, if I try to hide it, it's going to look too obvious, so I'm going to embrace it. And I did, and I rocked it, and I thought that. My dress accentuated my tattoo. Yes, it did. What <clears throat> was the church experience for you like about tattoos, Haley? I don't know. Okay. Because I was younger. I was okay. uh, uh, middle schoolish to high school is when I attended that church. Okay. Um, so tattoos weren't even a subject. <laughs> my parents don't like them. But it's not a religious reason as to why they don't like them. Okay. They just know people change their mind. 
so I put something permanent on you. <laughs> oh, that's the way they see it. Mm. Okay. I yeah. took my I, I, I took him to get his first one, and the fir his very first one was his daughter's name from here to here. I go, that's yeah. gonna hurt. <laughs> Real bad. I grew up non-denominational, so it was a shocker for my family. I'm the only one that has them, but after the shock wore off, they're like, okay. Asked a whole bunch of, why did you get them? Like, what do they mean? And since I had reasons and stories behind, they're like, okay, it's fine. My first church was the one that mom took us to, and it was the Seventh-day Adventist church. They're a little off as well. Well, especially when your mom's doing the pastor, that's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. It's okay, it's okay. Yeah, that, that's the reason for their ugly divorce, yes. And of course, it's against the rules of the church to be committing adultery. And, and of course, uh, the pastor's wife divorced him and she was excommunicated from the church because the church doesn't believe in divorce. However, the pastor of the church got a slap on the hand and got to continue pastoring, even though adultery is also against mm -hmm. the church. But, wow. Okay. Know, if you're a church official, you can just sweep that under the rug. And, and that's what they did. So there's a good topic right there, because how does that fit into the internal and external locus of control? You know, like well. if you went and talked to that lady who got kicked out, what does she do then? Right. right. That's a pretty tough road to hope. That's like the trauma thing is the same way, the soul departure. How do you take all that and then go, oh, that's okay, <clears throat> you know, I'll, um, I'll just get really, really into myself and then make something out of this. It, I know it can be done because people do it, but uh -huh. it's very tricky, and I would say majority don't, some right? Pe some people in the church will say, well, it's okay, all is forgiven because God forgives, right? except for the person that gets booted out of the church for not being forgiving to her cheating exactly. husband, who happens yeah. to be the pastor. Yeah. Some, some people call that hypocrisy. <clears throat> yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, okay, I so. I, I think that, I think that. And then multiple families are destroyed in the process, including the right. children and whatnot, because they're torn apart from their mothers or fathers because of the, the choices that they made. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's real interesting and seems like it goes for a long time and never really gets handled, you know? And then everybody gets old and it's just over. Right? <clears throat> it's like not not necessarily though. Children like me who even go into my fifties are still scared to death of cheating because they saw their parents cheat or be cheated. And, and then you grow up seeing that and you think, well, that's everybody cheats on everybody and you live your life thinking that and that affects you. Okay. It has me. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you kind of have a fear factor out of it then is what you're saying. I can tell you that. Yeah. Fear factor, I call it an insecurity. Okay. But it's, it, it's a legitimate insecurity. Yeah. You know, I mean, for many years, like, you know, you come at me too fast or you flinch and I don't, I... I hit and think later. Right. You yeah. know? I mean, it, it's not, it's just what I, I mean, it's just every, it's a, it's an instinct for me. Yeah. To defend. And then now it's like, I don't, I know that I don't ever have to worry about that, but now I have the feelings that are, aren't, that I'm not using to react with 
then I now I have to deal with it, and that's sure. that's why I'm. I have the therapist that I have, but then again, it was just like one question to take me right back to that five-year-old in a picture that I had just found a week prior of me wow. at five, and there's a little toe head, and you know just. You know, I can look at her, and I just—I don't know. That it, that was that was tough because I, I snapped, and I was just like, "Where and where did that come from?" So, you know, as far as religion goes, I don't know that I like. I be, I believe I have faith. I know that there's a reason and a purpose for everything. Um, you know, meeting my my first husband and having his mom raise me with everything I am today. I mean, I owe everything to her. I mean, I didn't necessarily gain an ex-husband, but I had two sons who gave me, you know, three granddaughters and a mom who's just absolutely the most unconditional loving. I'm in my hospital bed and she's, she, she calls me and she says, Becky, Richard says you're being really mean and rude and you're gonna knock it off. And I'm kind of like, shame on you, I'm dying. And second of all, and I said, I said, no, this is not okay. And she goes, Becky, he can call me anytime and you quit being, because when I get, when I'm not feeling well. She turns into a different person. I do because I can't take anything for my pain, nothing. Be nothing. I got all my pain. So then, when I get sicker, or I get end up, I end up in the hospital. I'm a raving lunatic. Oh, and then you want to give me some more? They were giving me morphine when I went in there. I'm like, I don't want morphine because you know I get mean. I get mean when I take opiates, and you know. There's a, a documented, well documented side effect. I haven't tolerated well. Well, I mean, I I don't. I've been taking it for 25 years. <clears throat> Which, when I found that out, that really angered me because I'm like, who in the hell is prescribing this shit 25 years ago? But back then, it was just an easy fix. Here's a script to go away. We didn't have to deal with it. And now that there's all of these resources for people, you know, now 25 years later, you've got somebody who is legitimately, I mean, he, he now 15 milligrams is not enough to be to take, I mean, you know, to affect somebody and impair them, but he now has to have a hip replacement and... Yeah, what do you do? How do you treat the pain? I can't let, I don't, I told him, I said, you know what? I took care of my dad, we'll get you a urinal, we'll figure this out, I'll, but I can't lift. I can't, like, I'm, I am totally 100% disabled. I'm going to be laying in bed for three months if, if I could, we can actually put this together and make it happen. And I'm going to tell you, the last two days in the hospital, I was like, "Give me some oxys," because I couldn't. I had bed sores on my on my on my backside because laying in bed, it's just bone. I, I can't. I couldn't take the pain. If I don't move, the pain is just excruciating for me. And everybody's like, "You're go 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 go." If I'm not moving. It hurts and there's days where I think you know God yeah you, you know yet you, you haven't really been very kind to me am I ever gonna catch a break and I banter back and forth with God a lot about it but then again it's like if I don't start looking at the positive 
and I don't start feeling I have so much to be thankful for and you know I could be in such a darker place but then again it's like in my mind it's dark it's dark but you know I believe I firmly believe that the trials that we're put through to help <clears throat> build strength in our relationships and our character too if we never had any problems ever how would we ever grow yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Well, how would we ever build friendships? Yeah, when, when, <clears throat> if you didn't have somebody to, eat, to lean on to help you if you were in trouble or something, how would you ever build what we have here? And that's his the, thing is, he goes, I just don't understand. We're cooking. He's like, I just don't understand why. And I was like, because you, you, we were meant, this was meant to, you know, I, I believe that, you know, everything lines up for a reason and things happen in time. And, you know, I do believe that. Um, yeah, talking about it is healing in itself, but also it has the potential to help others. And you, you don't think that, you know, I mean, we've all got our, our bucket of rocks, but you know, it's like, are you going to carry them around? Are you going to, you going to, you know, tractor them out and throw them underneath that tree? You know? Yeah. yeah. We've talked about, I've had people ask me about my time with the alcoholic on my, I always say I wouldn't take it back. Do I want to go back? No. But I wouldn't take it back. I learned a lot. Yeah. I have made me who I am now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I don't know that you're really meant to understand why. And sometimes somebody else learns from your why and you just, that's it. You end up being the sum of your life experiences. What makes you what you are. A good part of what makes you what you are. Aside from genetics. And, and I think that's how loving these guys could be. I mean, each time I've come home from the hospital, it's been like dimly and my horse. And you just, I, I've even, I even texted her <laughs> last night. I was like, can you send me a picture of the horse when he was in the barn? Every day. Okay. But there's something very, you know, my sister's like, I can't believe you've got all those geese and stuff. And just like, you know what? I can't. I took them on and. They're beautiful creatures, actually. They really are. You can learn a lot from them. They're assholes, them. and they freaking <laughs> scream a lot, and I, half the time I don't want them. I told the neighbor over there, I go, you got a pond. I got some geese to put in it for you. But, I mean, they have all the same temperaments that we do. Some of them are nice. Some of them are mean. Some of them pick on each other. Some of them run uh, when they're being picked true. on. Little Sinatra, man. She was just. Some of them are loving. Some yeah, of them are so just kind. I have such huge hopes. Like, I don't know how dark of a place I would have been in if I didn't have deaths after Dozer passed help a lot. I don't. Missy is my heart horse. She always has been. Now I've got decoy, which will ease the pain when she goes, but it eases it. Yeah. God, God gives us the animals to teach us how to love. I believe that. 100%. To teach us how to love. He taught me that and I was like you'll know this one, Ben. Uh, Buck Branneman and the show me your horse and I'll show you what type of person you are. And I feel like that is 100% true. Animals don't lie. No, they don't. That's very true. They don't. They can't. And yeah. Keeper got me through a lot, too. I, I, I just feel like, you know, death is, death is not something that I handled well with my dad. Um, 
even though I knew it was coming. Not very well of mine either. That was fucked up. Um, but and and, and you know, and we're 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 approaching his anniversary date on the fifteenth, and and then there was it, my aunt Mava. My aunt Mava had nobody left in the world, so I sat there with her from until she took. I her told last him, please breath. don't leave her. I go, don't leave her. Don't leave her. Do, please, God, don't don't leave Never her. Never had children. Don't don't wow. let her be alone. Her only husband that she married had passed years prior. And she did have a stepdaughter from that marriage. But aside from that, there's me and my sister. And my sister's 2,500 miles away or whatever. But it's me. That's it. And Becca, she made her she made her zucchini bread and took her Doritos and bought her pajamas. And once we knew where she was. Yeah, I mean, well, once we knew where she was. Because my stepmom put her up there and didn't tell us. And didn't buy her anything. Didn't take her anything. Didn't this is after. Her. And we could get into that. I mean, that's a whole different subject. But, yeah. I mean, this is a woman who took off for... I was painting shutters in the front of my house and left for weeks. But oh, she'd come on. She'd come home at the end of the day. But she she would she left his dad, who was like severely diabetic. And Richard came to me one day and he goes, "How much longer does my dad have?" And I said, "He's got maybe three months." I wasn't allowed to take him down food. That guy died on Progresso soup and hung, hungry man dinners, and I was not allowed to go down there. And feed him. Her, her cousins were in town, and so she'd go every day for like two months to visit her cousins and left them <clears> alone every day. And we were out here one day walking Phoebe after her surgery, and um, I said, I, I would call him every morning he was at work. I'd go, There she goes, eight o'clock, and she wouldn't get home. And we looked at the clock that night, and then she was like, I was with him, and I was like, Gage had just got home, and I was like, Oh shoot, I gotta get the barbecue going because I gotta fix something. and and she called and said she heard a noise and, and found him dead. And we believe she came home and found him dead. Because rigor mortis was prior. already there. I sat with my dad for hours after he passed. And I, I can tell you every stage of rigor mortis just because I took, you know, um, criminal law and corpus delicti was one of the first things we learned. And so I knew, I, I knew. And I said, Richard, there was no way that he went from that much rig within within i think we narrowed it down to 10 minutes from the time she called and when 911 called us back and it was just i think she actually came home found him that way and waited about a half hour before she called there's no way because we were outside walked inside to carry on this conversation we were in your bathroom and still talking about it and the phone home phone rang before you got in the shower from work. And I said, it's, it's, anyways, we could get into that. But nevertheless, I am so adamant in my beliefs that when it comes to, to, to family and especially after my dad and how my dad went out that um, nobody deserves to die alone. And, um, and then like we lost so many pets I mean, even some that we hadn't known very long. And then I watched my son who lost his pet that was his best friend. I mean, we're talking like I was there with him wakeboard, everything. I mean, just I mean, on the on the boats, everything. This this was his ride or die. And I just I I I cannot I cannot bear the heartbreak of of so I just less people in my circle the better. And I don't know I mean I'm working on overcoming that, but you need some grease. Dimry if something happens to Demery, who is my everything, um, you don't think you're gonna make it, but you find a way. 
Well, no, I know I'll make it. I don't have the heart. I don't have, I feel like every time something goes down, I kind of go, okay, God, you know what? There's another piece of my heart and I can't, I can't mend it. I'm like Sally, and you know, from, you know, Jack Skellington, you know, trying to, I, and I just, there's just part, parts that I, you can't put back together. And I just can't, and I don't, I don't know why. Well, the, the saying, and people used to tell me that, tell me this all the time, right after my brother died, was the, the saying of, Time heals all wounds, and that's not true at mm -hmm. all. It's you. Like we talked about earlier. We know how to figure out how to process it. We're never, yeah. we're yeah. never the same. You don't yeah. ever. Yeah, exactly. Never the same. I could not even like my brother or sister or. I can tell you that, I mean, nobody wants to 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 bury their child. I mean, but knowing that I've been as close as I've been has made me like, I mean, we drew up wills, you know, a, a couple, a couple of years ago and made sure that, you know, and I, I tell Richard, we were up until three o'clock. I was like, listen, check it out. This is the, the likelihood that I outlive you is, is nobody in his family has lived past 70. And that's, that's crazy statistics and it's kind of like that happens um, you know it's like I just brought my whole family being you know the three girls and my sons for what you know so I kind of like I have this battle going on in my head with with this external or whatever it you know it is and I and I don't and I don't want to question and I know I'm gonna get through it just like I did a lot of the trauma in my life but it's like trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma on top of grief and separating what's true trauma and, and grief and heartbreak and life it, it for me right now it's hard to really separate because it just falls under the same umbrella and it hurts and I can't and when, when I start to hurt, I get I, I do get angry. That's why I don't I don't drink. I don't do any of that stuff because I mean I go in for weight loss surgery, you know, lose two hundred pounds and I get hit with two different types of of cancer and then RA and lupus and half the time my kidneys are doing one thing and my liver's not doing this and gonna bring malfunction. And a brain malfunction. Oh, and then, but then, then I'll tell you that. But then I'll tell you things like this happen for me. I go into my dentist, and I found him because he's a Loma Linda graduate. Okay, Loma Linda University saved my best friend for it. Well, extended her life for many years, and um, he's a Loma Linda graduate. Good dentist. Gave him a free scholarship to get his teeth fixed. And Completely this guy, free. And we're talking seven thousand dollars worth. We're talking like this guy was like he needed some love on his mouth. And I said, you know, we've done me. Let's do you. Find out what it's going to take to get some of those teeth extracted. I kept telling and her, he like, said, I'm not going to ask her because we can't afford it. And she said, just ask him. Just ask him. And he said, I'm going to give it, and referred him over to um, the guy, a guy that did 
Stella's teeth um, and said, you know what, I only give one of these out a year and you know what, we're gonna give you a free ride. That same dentist, when I was going in for my last treatment, goes, listen, you're gonna take a hit because your bones and your RA and all that. He goes, I'm gonna put some stuff on your teeth, on your gum lines, and it's gonna cause them to turn black, but they're gonna save your teeth. And I go, I don't care to save my teeth. You know, we had braces together at like 37. And um, I went in last, was it last week? Must have been last, last week. Last week or the week before. Yeah, and he did the whole right side of my mouth because I had. I was like, "How in the hell did I get? Do I have six cavities?" He goes, "It's from it's from all the drugs, you know." And um, he goes, "But he goes, we're gonna go in there." And then he handed me the mirror, and I'm kind of thinking, looking at, you know. And then I noticed my blocks gone. Filled them all with porcelain, no charge. Gives me all the stuff, the all this extra stuff for my teeth. Um, no charge Pretty nice and it's that and I actually I don't when I don't know if you talk to anybody when you called and canceled my appointment because I had an appointment um, I, last left week. Them, I left them a message because they didn't answer well they, they called the next day and said, she, hey, she she called back she, you know what I think I'm overdue for my cleaning too but nevertheless I sent them a card and it's important for me to have like Peyton and in, in London always write thank you cards and it's important to try to carry that and to give thanks and recognize thanks, especially kindness, because there's not enough of it. I sent um, Dr. Anderson and his staff a card um, about a week ago, and I just said, you know, it's those little tiny acts of kindness that give people like me that extra push to get through the day. Because there's days that, like I said, I, you know, I could easily, you know, so, backtracking to, am I interrupting you? No. Backtracking to you, you, you when you said, what's the point then? Um, there are a couple ways of looking at it. Like with, I think, I think I told you yesterday about Tyler, the guy that I was in love with years ago, that my brother told no. <laughs> I didn't know about this. <laughs> and I just found out about it, and now there's a vast how I feel about it. And I made a comment, I'm like, well, I mean, I wouldn't take it back because, like, I've experienced things that I wouldn't have had I ended up with Tyler. And right down to, I brought up Odin, obviously, and how I felt with him, I won't feel with anybody else. And I wouldn't take that back. Am I still getting to feel it? No. But it was still something that I wouldn't take back. Everything, all of the everything we go through it it helps define you mm -hmm. well I mean I don't regret a single decision that I've made not truly yeah am I embarrassed about some stuff that I've done oh 125 yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if I knew it was gonna end in the <laughs> beginning like this would I have avoided it no yeah I was it was amazing and I wouldn't take it back well that's kind of you, you know I it's, go ahead Haley's turn are you sure? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of go off that. Um, so I, um, it was like my sophomore or junior year in high school. I, co I committed suicide or tried to, um, and I club. failed. Um, and then I was going to do it again. And I told my friend in, in class that, and I didn't want to live at all. Um, and so my other friend who I wasn't that great at friends with, um, overheard me and I was like, Hey, 
make it to 21 so you can have a drink. I'm like, why? Why would I want? I don't want to drink because my grandpa is an alcoholic. <laughs> He's like, no, you're gonna promise me you'll do that for me. And then a few weeks later, he committed suicide. Oh my god. Um, and if that did not happen, I probably would not be here because I made a promise to keep living because of what he made me promise. Um, so the things that happened for a reason, I wouldn't be here if he hadn't done that, but it really sucks that he did do that, so. How did he do it? Um, he overdosed on his depression medication. Uh, I did. Yeah. That's too bad. Uh, what was his name? His name was Seth Conklin. What was it? Seth Conklin. Seth. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, he yeah. was just a junior in high school. A junior? Mm -hmm. wow. I was in I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. I had a friend try because her and her fiance didn't work out. She was cheating on her the whole time. That hurts. You know, betrayal is like the fucking worst. <clears throat> Especially that kind. Yeah. Especially. There's something different about that. Like, it's a different. That's a different element. It's a dirty, dirty feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I go back and I think would I have avoided my first husband? I don't think that I would have because. Was he a white supremacist? He did not get into that. His best friend growing up was a black guy named Ismala, and I will never forget him. Um, good guy. I mean, just wasn't, you know, um, and then he became, he just became, he got caught up in the system, became institutionalized. And you know, when you're, when you're in that type of environment, you become, Yeah. and you know, he carried an H number for, for years. And I mean, he's off, but you know, it's like, I look back and I think a lot of bad came, but I wouldn't have my mom. I would not have my sons. And the most ultimate for me is that. Got your granddaughters too. Well, no, it's not just that. It's the fact that I n never, with the exception of a few months, I got to watch my boys grow up into men and bear their children. And watching your children bear their children, it is, it is, it is the most intense. And my, my sons are overprotective of, of the girls. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, he don't do nothing without Peyton. Peyton don't do nothing without him. I mean, if she, when she's here, if she's not with him, she's with London. I mean, they're just yin and yang. Um, so I get that not going back. So was I kind of pushed back that, you know, no, you've got some things that you need to do and you need to going to run into some things. And, you know, I look at his, I got away from a bad parenting household because the judge wouldn't let me go back to my dad, you know, so you're, we're going to go live with this mom who's never protected you a day in her life. And, um, I thought it was love. And then I had, I had my, my, um, surprise blessing from the pill and, um, then um, I, I tied my tubes and I knew that it wasn't going to work out. And then as I was like, I'm going this way. If you want to go, let's go. If not, I'm going to go this way. And then things just kind of got really psychotic after that. And it was just like, I, I, I got to go. 
Like I looked around and I'm not, I mean, it just, Chino, I mean, just SoCal started getting dirty, started getting dark. And I just didn't, I brought my kids up here trying to give them more of a, you know, the arrowheadish type of, you know, and, um, next thing I know, uh, we're out here in battleground and I mean, within the last, uh, we've been together, gosh, we just had four years at five, five, a little over five years. I mean, this guy's done more as far, you know, if just directional and, and, and for other people too, carrying down, you know, his dad's legacy for, for Beth and bringing Tyra over and for the boys and, you know, you know, adopting, you know, Tell you what, she is a full meal deal, that's for sure. Huh? Oh, I told you, I don't have a fucking truckload of problems. I got a dump truck and here they are. Yeah. Love yeah. it or leave it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to deal with, you know, explaining this shit in, in another relationship because they just didn't work. Didn't have to explain it. But, yeah. but I did for the longest time. Oh, so when I couldn't make you, and then he was like, you're going to, you know. So, I mean moments like this I can say yeah I'm really glad but there's other days I wake up and I think I am just totally depriving him of a wife depriving my kids of a mother depriving you know I just want to go kick a ball I was a soccer coach for nine years I can't I can't run I got Dimery to run with she's my service dog I like it and let us think any less because what deficiencies that come upon you but I'm, all I know is my independence. I was independent from the day I, I hit the ground running because it's only been me to protect and take care of me. You fall, you got somebody to pick you up. That's what I'm here And having to retrain your brain for, to that and undo that fucking trauma and learning. It's not that I don't trust and I'm not trusting of that. I believe you. Hey! Gage, London, there's babies over there. It's just See over here. You have to accept it, right? It, it's no, it's hard to accept not having, not 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 coming home with it with a fat paycheck and waiting for Social Security. And we fought two years for my Social Security, and it took a judge like I'm not even 30 seconds. He went to go put money in the meter, and I came out, and I kind of looked down, and I was like, "We just won." And I'm getting this SSDI, and I got the full everything. And, and it was just like, her, she gets, she gets well, it hasn't started yet, but she, she, and I know that she'll get 75% death benefit if anything happens to me. So now, A, she's set if anything happens to me. It should pay for her schooling, mostly. But watching, watching her and her faith. And what she's come through and I hope to God she doesn't ever have to remember some of that some of that stuff um, in her faith I think it gives me the opportunity to, to reflect on my childhood she refuses to go to bed every night unless she's got prayers how do you how do you how do you not fight to wake up to that it's hard it's hard so I don't know I have this freaking constant battle and you know why are you smoking you've had can you've had cancer twice you know what i'm gonna fucking go whether it's through cancer or through a fall or 
you know, I get hit by a Mack truck. I don't know. But whenever it's my time to go, it'll be my time. It'll be my calling and he'll come calling and I'll go. And when I go, you know, bury me in my wedding dress, slip my daddy in my coffin with me. Thank you, my man. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you didn't kill yourself. Amen to that. Because you would have never made it to the podcast. So. <laughs> that would have sucked. And I would have never this met you. That's what I live for. They would have never met you, and you would have never been here. So. I don't know. Um, you're finally opening <clears throat> up to talking. You know. She gets there. Yeah, yes. it's good. It, it takes a minute, but I'm pretty open about trust is Trust is a hard thing to... It is, yeah. I've Even yeah. somebody... Beep, beep. Even those you least expect it and then and then the doctors will say said to me and by the way she's like totally 100 percent severely adhd i'm like fuck of course she is i have no patience i have no patience so thank you therapy and you know it's like who wants to make that decision on a three-year-old but you do you make the decisions you know when it comes to a horse or a dog or you know, goose. nothing, you know what? I loved my Sinatra. I loved her. That was horrible. I will live with that for the rest of my life. But losing Maleficent, well, horrible. that was. Loved every second. But I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And maybe I will. But when we talked about bringing another horse over, I thought, I just fucking can't. Because my first question to you is, what happens and how long do they live for? And what we do you do with them afterwards? We need some more pallets to build a bigger barn. Yeah, I have to, be, I was like, yeah, and I still, I, I've still got to get, the, I still got to build, get that She done. wants to build a pallet barn. She saw like a YouTube video where somebody <laughs> made a barn out of pallets and evidently you can do a really nice. Yep, you can. Yeah. We just, the problem is. in front of the trailer of pallets. Yeah. We need to, we need to, um, the problem is, is like, we need a, we need a I'm couple six hundred. shades of fucked up and he's, there's a couple hundred pallets there. We just need to go get them. We need a couple hundred million dollars. We were, I don't know what happened yesterday, but we just don't have the, we don't have, you know, everybody's got schedules and it's like, and him and I, we're just kind of like, we don't have the resources to get some of the simplest things done and everything's just falling apart. I'm just, hopefully that'll change. I thought, God, I just, what if I just knocked over a candle and burnt the shit down? We could have a whole new house. Well, not now. You admitted it online. Damn it. I could, I, I have too much. I, I, let me tell you something. If there's one thing I love are my shoes in my handbags. And I have a lot of sentimental shit in there. And I got, you talk about God, um, I went back to, um, um, Missouri and, um, I had all of my uncle who was the, um, chippy and I never knew my grandparents on my dad's side. Um, I got my mama's Bible and I, just a couple weeks ago got my mother's mom's Bible, my grandmother's Bible. And I just kind of went, okay, 
I mean, and it's kind of like, I feel like it's a dirty secret. I don't I tell my brother and sister that, because every, it's, it's not a secret that I've been kind of left out of knowing that part. But to see this, their scriptures, and I can say that there's Bible verses she brings home, and I'm like, well, who, what the, what is this? What's that one that I can never remember? Is it Thessalonians? What the heck, Sam Hill is that about? So I just don't, it's like, I'm hearing him, I got my kid in private school, like, am I, I'm, am I, am I a hypocrite? Because... Pronunciation of the books in the Bible. Dude, and she gets it down. She's never missed a Bible verse. There's something there. There's I a can't, couple of them I can't a recite tough. a Bible. I mean, and don't talk to me about Psalms, because you know about Psalms, and I'm, if one more person says, well, if you think it's bad, you should read Job. We all know Job, God was happy at the end. Job isn't me, and... You know, it's hard when you're in a setting to be. I don't know. always taught the Proverbs for wisdom, the Psalms, the Psalms for encouragement. Oh, but I can recite, I can recite to you the um, Serenity Prayer. I know that one. <laughs> and that's, I don't know. So in closing for everybody and for people listening, what would you guys leave people that are going to listen to this? that are listening to this what would you say to them and regarding god trauma soul departure and the internal and external locus of control like what it's, what message of hope do you have for people it's because a, it's a, yeah it's go a process ahead. yeah it's not easy don't give up okay don't beat yourself up for the bad days you're gonna have them yeah it's all part of it okay okay i think I think that, you know, whatever your higher up is and however your higher up is, you know, don't lose sight of it. And if anything, you just, you know, my dad was a boxer, you know, I, I got to where I'm at because I fought just like every one of us around here have fought. Richard is not that physical type, but mentally he has fought. and. You know, there's a reason and a purpose and everything is set, you know, um, that right there, the, the first time I held her, a couple minutes after being born, and I knew she was going to be mine. And I just, you know, I mean, Beth giving me the privilege of, you know, being able to meet you guys and, um, you know, there's been there, there's a lot of blessings that that come. It's just getting through, and you just that's my thing. It's just I'm a fighter. Keeper was the reason I met you. Yep. <laughs> that was a. I'm so sorry, everybody. That's it's all a, my fault. That's a, that's, <laughs> listen, that's that's a story. She told me that story, and I thought, holy hell, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. That was a yeah. Hollywood movie. So one of the biggest things I've learned in life about struggles is it's a, a mistake, especially when you're struggling yourself and you say, why me? And you look at your neighbor or you look at another family member or a friend and think they have the perfect life. They have it Nobody, so easy. No. Everything is no. so easy. Everybody has and their internal battles. Everybody struggles just like everybody else. We mm -hmm. all struggle. And everybody probably at least once in their life thinks about eating a bullet or a, a bottle of pills. And you see, you got to get, you got to get from here to there and, and take the next step. And, and, uh, the last two times I was in the hospital, I thought, what can you take from this? 
The time before last is I thought I got a cross train on parenting. He doesn't know my role. This time I thought I need to be okay with today. And if you look too far ahead into things, you're going to overwhelm yourself with the big picture and it just, it becomes too unbearable. But if you take today for today and try to find one good thing, even if it's just to pass on kindness, even when you don't want to do it, 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 it does come back around. But everybody struggles just like everybody. There's no perfect life for anybody. Even, even somebody who's got all the money in the world, they have their trauma, they have their struggle. Like Kim and Kanye. <laughs> what do you think, Beth? I mean, building on all of that, not all days are not all days are easy or good, but there are good days. They don't always come one after the other, and sometimes you might have bad days for a string, but the good days will be coming. And when you get those good days, in, enjoy the little victories. Like in, in enjoy little acts of kindness that little, somebody gives to you. The acts of kindness, enjoy meeting a goal, set yourself goals. I mean, Every that really helped me building, building my own business, you know, reaching towards dreams that I had had as a kid. It's not going to be instantaneous. If anyone tells you that, they're insane. Um, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, life is hard work. Dealing with struggles is hard, hard work. But if you commit to it, and you celebrate those tiny victories. And it's okay to say. And, and, yeah, it's okay to have a bad day. Everyone does. Um, but celebrate the good. Celebrate the tiny accomplishments. It's, you know, it's, I think the we get too, I think society is too focused on the big time stuff. Um, you know, the big goals and the becoming the millionaire and becoming all these things. If, if your goal is to get out and garden for the day and you do it, celebrate that. Like, there's nothing wrong with tiny victories. Okay. And there's also nothing wrong with, you know, there's no such thing as failure. Um, if you learn from it, it's not a failure. So learn from mistakes, learn from the heartache, learn from the pain and help yourself. And if you can help someone else, that's an even greater victory than you'll ever know. If you're in pain and you hurt, talk about it. Talk about it to someone. Yeah. Is there somebody out that's, there who's your equal or equal. can relate? What do you think, Haley? Um, I guess if you, if one or two things uh there's never only one option for things there's never one conclusion um and the other one being uh i had it in my head now i can't think of it <laughs> okay. i guess uh stay strong that's fight fight good fight fight yeah it's a okay. roller coaster it comes it comes in waves What's that? It's a roller coaster. Yeah. Times. Okay. Ups and downs. Music's been my go-to. Yeah. I wear it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I want to thank all of you for being being willing to do this. Uh, I have been <clears throat> roaming the earth trying to get people <laughs> to be freaking honest about their life and actually have real conversations. 
You want? I said I'll be 39. You don't want to hear. Yeah, I'll be 39 this summer, and it, I mean it's hard to find. So I can't tell you really enough just how much I appreciate you guys being willing to to be honest and and just talk about real things that really happened. Not some fantasy story. It's not. And if it is, it's always it's always for some weird reason or there's a bunch of extra garbage added to it. It's like when you go to the movies, you know, it's always based on a true story. It's not really a true story, it's just based on it. And that always bothered me. I actually don't watch movies anymore because I just can't stand them. Because well, it's they, always based on they, something. They glamorize it for the purpose of profit. Yeah, because it's not real. Not for helping. Yeah. Everything's and I, filtered now. Yeah, it's you all got filtered. Filters yeah, you got and... filters and filters and this and that. And they got these kids now killing themselves because they don't have enough likes. And, and um, Oh, yeah. And, you know, the girls especially taking pictures of themselves. You have no idea. So many filters going on. And they don't. it's not pretty enough. It's not good enough. And it just it's not good. So I just appreciate you guys being willing to... Not be based on a true story, but actually be a true story. And I hope, and that's the whole point of this podcast and being the voice of the feral, I believe everybody has a feral line within them or a feral instinct. And we all have to tap into it at some point. Maybe some don't, but most people do. And I think if we would pay a lot more attention to that, I think that we could do a lot better for ourselves and for other people all together in life. Uh, I think we've really gotten away from it. I think it's been lost in our in our culture. Absolutely. So that's the whole point of, of this podcast, and there, there, there will be more. So thank you guys for coming out here. Thank you for letting us host it here at your beautiful property. Please. The geese and the horses and everything is great. And my ambiance of light. Yeah, and it's really us. nice out here. No, and, <clears throat> us. Thank you for We lucked us. out for the good weather. Yeah, thank you for the incredible food and hamburgers and it corn was, on the cob and all of it. It's nice to be able to have a place of comfort. Yeah. And, you know, this is always a safety zone. And, you know, I told Ty when she moved in, I said, you know what? This needs to be your, this is your home and you need to feel safe here yeah. and you need to feel comfort and you need to talk to me if you're not. And it's just kind of, I can always, I can always, you know, so, I mean, I, I enjoy it and I'm hoping that, you know, there can be more of these types of things. And, you know, even if it's just sitting around campfire, which we're going to work on building hopefully by 2032, <laughs> um, getting a campfire going, um, we like it. Well, yeah, we're and I'm an ordained minister, so anybody wants to get married, baptize anything, I'm that person. I've never been baptized. I would love to be baptized. So anybody out there that is, I don't want just anybody baptizing me, but I do would like to be baptized because I remember my dad being baptized. I've never been baptized. Um, I would love for her to be baptized, but we're we're all a pretty brutally honest group. That we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing it. Yeah. And um, that will conclude the Voice of the Pharaoh podcast for uh, 
Oh, almost the last day in May. <laughs> we got one more. No kidding. Yeah, really? almost. Tomorrow's the last day. So tomorrow's the 31st. 31st. Yep. And then, then it starts again. So thank you guys and uh, goodbye to everybody.